It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. You know of my fondness for pro wrestling, and I don't get to watch it as much anymore because I don't have five minutes to do anything anymore. So uh, if I get a, a, a half hour allocated for television time, usually it's a program that my wife and I have pre-negotiated. So uh, my, I'm out of touch with my pro wrestling knowledge these days, and it kills me. And whenever I can sneak in a few minutes of watching pro wrestling, it still does bring back a surge of nostalgia for me. But I was talking about pro wrestling on uh, the radio, I guess, a few months ago, and a fellow that works here, Rob Leonard, Came over to me and says, look, you've got to read this book, Matt Memories by John Arezzi. So anyway, I throw it on the pile when it comes in of books that I'll look at one day. And then one day I just needed a break from reading about nothing but Eastern European policy and wars in Russia and biographies of Theodore Roosevelt. I said, let me pick up this Matt Memories. I have to tell you, this book is one of the best books uh, about pro wrestling Anywhere. For the starters, it breaks KFAB. It names names. Two, it's a compelling memoir of somebody that's led a really interesting life with three different names. Three, if you're not interested in baseball, if you're not interested in music, if you're not interested in pro wrestling, this book still actually manages to be incredibly compelling reading because John is such a good storyteller. So let me welcome co-author of the book, Matt Memories, and co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from the Madison Square Garden podcast. John, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, Frank, that was such a great introduction. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, well, no, you have nowhere to go but down. So uh, (laughs) we've set a high bar. Hey, uh, before we talk uh, wrestling, I know you worked in the New York Mets organization in the minor league system starting in the early 80s. I worked in minor league baseball for the New York Mets as well. What what are your thoughts on the Mets uh, this year? How closely are you following what's going on at the major league level? I watch every pitch and every inning. So uh, uh, I, I think the Mets uh, this year, it's a special team. Uh, they made a lot of great moves uh, going into the season. Hiring Buck Walter was one of them, bringing in some uh, strategic free agents, getting Max Scherzer. Uh, even though the Braves are on their tail, uh, I think it's going to be a fight to the very last week of the season. Uh, but I have a, a gut feeling that the Mets are going to win the division and to get that buy to get right into the division series. Right. I'm very excited about it. Hey, fingers crossed. Uh, last night's game notwithstanding, which was pretty frustrating. All right, uh, talk to me about your transition to the world of pro wrestling. You're working in baseball. Sounds like you're on a, 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 an up, a path for a lot of upward mobility, a great trajectory in pro baseball. Why make that career transition to the world of pro wrestling, and what exactly exactly did you do in the world of pro wrestling? Well, I mean, I really started off as a kid, as a 14-year-old, uh, as a fan. 
uh, watching it on TV. Then uh, uh, back then you had to be 14 to go to a live event in New York. That was the state athletic commission rule. So I started going at 14 years old and fell in love with even more. I started a fan club uh, for a notorious heel named Fred Blassie. Uh, and that's what kind of got me in. And then I kind of segued uh, into a photographer. I used to shoot the matches at ringside as a kid. And then I started submitting stories to the wrestling magazines as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. Started getting uh, articles published at that young age. Uh, talked my way into a ringside photographer position at Madison Square Garden as a kid. And uh, and then I, I actually Got into the ring for a few matches, which was uh, insanity because I had no training. Uh, got uh, matches against Dusty Rhodes, uh, Chief J. Strongbow, Peter Mavia. That was short-lived. Uh, and, uh, you know, my lifelong dream growing up was to work for the Mets. So I went off to college, got hired by the New York Mets, uh, and uh, placed in the minor leagues, uh, Class A League in Shelby, North Carolina. And uh, before you know it, I meet a singer at a bar <laughs> named Patty Loveless, who was a country, who was a rock singer at the time. I quit my job with Demet to manage her, stayed in artist management in the 80s. And then uh, that company went belly up and I had I needed something to fall back on. So I still love pro wrestling and I started a commercial radio show called Pro Wrestling Spotlight on a little uh, mom and pop. Uh, station on Long Island, WNYG, in April of 1989, and that began a six-year run as a radio talk show host. Uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight was on WNYG, then I transferred over to WGBB on Long Island, a little bit of a bigger signal, and then I uh, started brokering time on WEVD at the time, 10.50 a.m., uh, so uh, I've kind of bounced around a lot, Frank. I mean, I've I done a lot it. of different I, I've listened to a lot of those stations, especially uh, WEVD. There was some great hosts on there, including Ed Koch, who we were just talking about, who did a great job on there. Uh, you said a great deal there. We're talking with John Arezzi, uh, author of the book Matt Memories, which I recommend if you're a fan of baseball, music, or pro wrestling. But you mentioned one of my all-time favorites, Classy Freddie Blassie. Because you take a look at all these pencil neck geeks out here. And that's just what they are. A guy that made the term pencil neck geeks a household name, including <laughs> releasing a wonderful hit single by that name. Now, there's a lot of people listening right now, including the gentleman who's uh, in studio with me, O.B. Murray. Very bright guy, uh, very politically minded, follows the news closely. They don't necessarily know how great Classy Freddie Blassie was. By the way, if people are interested in further viewing on the subject of Blassie, I strongly recommend the Andy Kaufman pseudo-documentary, My Breakfast with Blassie, which is a cinematic classic, which should be in every cinematic Hall of Fame, should have won every award there ever was. Explain to folks what, what was it that made Classy Freddie Blassie so special? Well, he was believable, first and foremost. I mean, he was uh, you know, platinum blonde hair, very rugged, a brawler. And then he started using his teeth to bite people on the head. Uh, he he uh, became a legend in Japan because, you know, the, as the story goes, he uh, audience members died of heart attacks while he was facing Ricky Dozan, the Japanese legend. 
But he uh, was a major star here in the United States, and he had major battles against Bruno San Martino in the 60s, Pedro Morales in the early 70s. I mean, he was just someone who could draw heat. He was someone that the fans feared and they hated. They despised him, and he was so believable as a heel. But ironically, on the West Coast, he was a beloved baby face. He was a good guy. (laughs) It was crazy. I love that people can kind of thread that needle. Uh, Jerry Lawler did it with the, you know, being a a, a face in the South and Mm -hmm. then, and then uh, a heel everywhere else. Uh, Bret Hart did it for a time being a heel in Europe and uh, excuse me, being a heel in the United States and a, and a, and a face in Europe and Canada. You know, a lot of people are listening to us right now, John, and they think we're speaking a different language and they think that we're from Mars. In fact, they'd rather be hearing me do a discussion about uh, people from Mars. We're grown men here talking about uh, in a sports entertainment with the where the outcomes are predetermined. What makes pro wrestling so great? Why would anybody over the age of nine ever care about what goes on inside a ring when the outcome is already predetermined? Well, the athleticism, for one. I mean, they take incredible risk in the ring. It's really a storyline soap opera for for men, if you look at it. I mean, years ago, the storylines were a lot deeper than they are today. But it is something that draws you in, and then you... You watch it, and you get drawn into the storylines, the heels, the villains, the baby faces, the different characters. Uh, but the, the incredible uh, skills that they have in the ring and in their promos, uh, it, it's acting in a lot of ways, but it's brutal in so many other ways. Even though it's predetermined, I mean, the bumps you take in that ring uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, I, would, I would challenge anyone to be able to survive something like that more than a few days if you have uh, enough courage to get into the ring. John, we've seen a lot of people big in the world of pro wrestling try to make the transition to the world of entertainment. Hulk Hogan did some films, Suburban Commando, Mr. Nanny. We saw uh, Rowdy Piper do the film Them. We saw Andre the Giant do uh, The Princess Bride. We've seen a lot of wrestlers over the years try to make the transition into mainstream entertainment. Uh, I don't know that there's been a more successful crossover star from the world of professional wrestling than the grandson of the gentleman you referenced a few minutes ago, uh, the grandson of Peter Maivia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Finally, The Rock has come back to New Jersey. Just as sure. As for the very first time, Kevin Kelly, The Rock, stood right in this arena and called you an ugly hermaphrodite. It's as sure as this Sunday night at Armageddon, The Rock will be in hell in a cell. This is going to be the most brutal match The Rock has ever been in. The dangerousest match The Rock has ever been in. The hell in a cell. And it doesn't matter, Kevin Kelly, what you call it. Whether it's called a hell in a cell, a rage in a cage, penis in Uranus, the only thing that matters is that The Rock is going in this Sunday night to do exactly what he does best, lay it the smack it down, and get back The Rock's WWE title. So tell me, John, in your view, why was The the Rock is not only now the best paid actor in Hollywood, but 
They're talking about him seriously as a presidential candidate in 2024. Why was The Rock able to make that transition from the world of pro wrestling in a manner that other world champions, The Rock, of course, is the not only the son of Rocky Johnson, but the grandson of uh, Peter Maivia, so he's a third-generation pro wrestler. Why was he able to make that transition when guys like Hulk Hogan, Bob Backlund, Bruno Sammartino, Gorgeous George, Lou Fez... Why were they not able to make that transition to mainstream entertainment as successfully as The Rock has? Well, you heard the promo that he just cut. I mean, he had uh, an incredible and has an incredible uh, gift, which is that charisma and the ability to cut those promos. And uh, people looked up to him, and he was able to make that transition uh, better than anyone else has ever done. And it's just his work ethic. His dedication, his passion, and the way people react to him. He is in a class above anyone when it comes to pure entertainment, not only in the ring, but of course in Hollywood. And there are those rumors that he may be a presidential candidate down the road. And that's what his, the series that he's in, uh, Young Rock, is kind of based on. Uh, It's uh, set in the future that he's running for president, and then he tells the story of his life, and it's been picked up for a second season by uh, NBC. It's uh, He's one of a kind. He's one in a million. I mean, there's not uh, uh, anybody like him uh, in the business, Uh, not only in wrestling, of course, but in in motion pictures. He just – he draws money. This is Obi. Uh, Great conversation here, by the way, Frank. I mean, the whole insight. It's not just theater. It's not just wrestling. Oh, no, totally. It's it's not the high school Thank guys you. we see out there. I mean, it's just it's a whole thing. Uh, the thing about Rock that strikes me is I think of him as an actor more than I do as a wrestler. Well, I think because the whole world ball, does well, now. Ballers, yeah. ballers. I mean, that show uh, on Showtime was terrific, the way he, he carried that out. But his, his work ethic shows through. But the thing that you saw there, too, was he delivers a line, and he's live. One of the knocks Cynthia Nixon got on – got from as an actress running for office was she couldn't deliver a line, whether it be to fundraisers or to the press. She had to have a script and she was waiting for take two that everything in wrestling, you get one take and that's it for what they're doing. But the thing that amazed me too, Frank about the business and what McMahon's done and so forth up in Connecticut uh, is that it continues to grow. You had in the old days, you had boxing and it was only a broadcast TV and buy the tickets in, in the theater itself in the ring, uh, in the arena. Just watch the ring. Then you had pay-per-views. And, it, oh, boxing's gone. No one's going to see it. It's not going to be out there. You have to see it on TV. you know, Or it doesn't count. It went to cable. And Showtime and HBO did their whole thing as well as others. Wrestling kept on going. And then you've got Ultimate that comes in. And wrestling keeps on going. Mm-hmm. The pie is growing. It's like the Connecticut casinos. When Mohegan Sun opened up, everyone thought Foxwood would go down. The pie just grew. Uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, and I want to ask you about MMA in a minute, uh, John. But uh, speaking of politics, you know, we've seen a number of wrestlers try to make that transition from the mat to elective office. Only a handful have really been successful. Obviously, I think the best-known example is Jesse Ventura, mayor of Brooklyn Park, and then the governor of Minnesota. Uh, The wrestler Kane is uh, a mayor in Tennessee. We've seen a whole bunch of wrestlers try their hand at running for office. Bob Backlund, Nikolai Volkov, Jerry Lawler, uh, Steve Mongo McMichael, a bunch of others. Why is it that um, only a handful 
guys like Jesse Ventura, guys like Kane or Glenn Jacobs, they're able to get elected, whereas so many other wrestlers who have that same experience talking to a crowd, entertaining a crowd, delivering a line, they're not able to make that transition. Well, I think in the case of Jesse, and he has been the most prominent one and, and went all the way up to Governor of Minnesota, I think timing was right. People knew him. And he struck a chord with the voters. And he related to the voters, uh, starting off as the mayor of Brooklyn Park and then segueing into the governorship of Minnesota. He just struck a chord. And the same thing with Glenn Jacobs, who is the mayor uh, currently uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, he struck a chord as well. I mean, obviously, that uh, exposure that you get on television, being in front of millions of people, uh, that gets you a base. uh, But then it's up to you to kind of relate uh, to uh, the uh, constituents in in that particular uh, area. Uh, I don't know why others haven't been successful, like Lawler and – oh, Backlund is just – you know, Backlund is a (laughs) – is just an interesting guy. He's a very eccentric guy, and he's a, he's a little off his rocker, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it, it just didn't happen for him. Too many um, chairs to the head? But, uh, well, Bob has always been a little quirky. Uh, Bob has uh, been somebody that uh, uh, believes in his gimmick as the all-American uh, guy. Uh, you know, he lives and breathes it. Uh, I had an opportunity to interview him a couple of years ago on a live stage, and it was the most unpredictable thing that I ever did, uh, trying to uh, have him focus. And then he uh, he stood up and stood on his head and did a handstand. I've tried to get him on the show. Now, after listening to your description, I'm, I'm sorrier that I, I'm even more sorry that I haven't been successful. That doesn't look good on radio, Frank. Well, it's handstand. true. The most, the most bizarre thing of the whole interview was in front of an audience. It was time for the Q&A. And I said, all right, Bob, let's take some questions from uh, the audience. And he uh, just said, I'm out of here. And he, you know, he was, he took, had his shoes off and he put his shoes under his arm and he stormed <laughs> out of the building. And that was it. He left. So um, it, it was just, it was, it was fascinating to me. Uh, that that to, means you uh, can't answer the question I was going to ask you. How did he connect to the audience? It's the crossover from the universe you operate in to broaden yeah. it. That's always a challenge. If Larry Kudlow was looking at running for office in the, in the U.S. Senate in Connecticut, had a CNBC audience to start with. Michelle Cruz Cabrera had that here in New York. Not MSNBC, CNBC. And there's a flat number from all those years for where they stand across the board in the polling. But the, the, the wrestling viewer is what audience and the voters are what. Mm. The mayor's race is very local. It's, it's property tax. It's potholes. You get to know who your people are locally in a different way than the wrestling. But once you get beyond where you can shake hands with voters – and make a difference, it's, it's the TV, it's the big arenas, it's speeches, it's, it's anything that you connect to the voters. If you don't connect to women, it's very tough. Yeah, I mean, very, very true. Is, is the fact that wrestling is male-dominated and uh, maybe hasn't had the kind of female uh, viewership that, uh, you know, that you need to build a successful electoral coalition, is that something that could handicap wrestlers? I would say that it ha- that could be a good part of it. I mean, obviously, uh, the the wrestling audience is an adult male, primarily, uh, you know, eighteen uh, and up, uh, eighteen to thirty four. Uh, it, it's a uh, there's not a big viewership when it comes to women. Mm. 
although AEW is making some strides uh, with the women demo right now. And 18 to 34 votes how often? <laughs> yeah, once exactly. a lifetime, once a lifetime. Well, I mean, that, that might skew a little young there, but, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's an 18-plus audience. It's a, a predominantly male. Uh, talking with John Arezzi, his book is Matt Memories. Uh, the person that wrote your book is a best-selling author in his own right, Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack, a.k.a. Mankind, a.k.a. Dude Love. Tell me about your relationship with uh, with Mick Foley. What's he like when he's not getting getting his ear chopped off off in a wrestling ring and giving people the mandible claw? Well, Mick wrote one of the forwards to my book. Uh, Greg Oliver was actually the co-author with me, and he's written seventeen books. Uh, but Mick Foley has been really a a, a long time friend. Uh, you know, we're both from Long Island. He is one of the sweetest guys that you'll ever want to meet. I mean, uh, I saw him yesterday, matter of fact, uh, at an autograph show here in Tennessee. Uh, but Mick is somebody that uh, uh, resonated to the fans. He didn't have the body that most of the other wrestlers did. He was he was kind of big. He was just bulky. Uh, but he was passionate, and he became a legend. He came, became the hardcore legend based on his uh, willing to sacrifice his body very early on in his career, and it carried him through his entire career. But what he does outside of the ring, the charity work he does, the money he raises mm. for people in need, uh, in the wrestling industry, uh, there is probably less than a handful of guys like him who care about everybody they come in contact with. He is, without a doubt, uh, one of the most amazing men I've ever gotten to know. G- give me one or two that. others of the great guys that you think you've come across in the wrestling ring. Well, Bruno San Martino was, you know, my hero, and he was he was the same way. He he was who he was. There was no pretenses about him. He was honest. He was uh, humble, and he was just genuine. Uh, you know, those two stand out above so many others. I mean, there is even going back years ago, uh, a guy named Ernie Roth, who was the Grand Wizard of Wrestling, was another one who uh, was basically just a, just an incredible person. Uh, you know, in modern day wrestling, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I really haven't been involved uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis uh, with the current uh, wrestling product, with the presentation of today, I do watch it. Uh, but uh, these are the guys I remember who were just incredible human beings. John, I got to have you back because I have pages of notes that I haven't even gotten to. So we're going to have to do this again if you're willing to stay up late again in the future. Anytime. Last question I have to ask you, though, uh, very briefly. We recently, I paid, I was one of the suckers that paid the 30 or $40, whatever it was, for the pay-per-view to purchase Ric Flair's last match because he's my favorite wrestler and I have watched him for decades and I'm such a fan the the match was i mean it was absurd it was absurd that a gentle a, a, a wrestler of his age would be even pretending uh, to wrestle in a ring it seems that that is a trend throughout professional wrestling history, that there are these guys that just don't know when to hang up the tights and end up in some cases doing some serious damage to their legacy. Why do so many of these performers have such a difficult time uh, hanging it up when it's clearly time for them to do so? Wrestling is like an addiction for these guys, and Flair is probably the 
person who can't get away from the spotlight. He's got to be in the spotlight. He's Ric Flair. He lives his gimmick in the ring and out of the ring. He's always been that way. And I have to agree with you on that match. And I know the person who promoted it. He's an incredible guy. He's a great promoter. Rick shouldn't have been in the ring, even though he trained hard for it. And in the training sessions, he looked okay. You know, not like he, not like Ric Flair was, but it was evident that as soon as he stepped through the curtain, that yeah. it was going to be a disaster. Um, maybe he was, you know, out. They had him doing a lot of stuff that weekend. Maybe he was tired. I know he said he was dehydrated. But uh, I was. it was the only time in the history that I've watched wrestling, and I've watched wrestling since I was seven, and I'm 65 today, that I was actually fearful that I was going to see somebody die same, in the ring. Same, same here. Uh, John, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, come back okay. soon. I love the book. I recommend Matt Memories by John Arezzi to anybody that's interested in country music, uh, baseball, or pro wrestling. John, uh, hopefully we'll see you at uh, a couple of Mets playoff games, okay? You got it, Frank. Thank you so much. All right. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. No to be stuff. the man. You got to beat the man. I'm the man. The Other Side of Midnight. 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 Midnight